Hello, and welcome to the Harry Potter cast. I'm your co-host, Sienna, and I am doing the intro for a change. <laughs> I watched six to eight of the episodes of Queer Eye Season 3 this morning, so I'm doing great. And joining us, as always, is the lovely co-host, Dejor. Dejor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I just watched entire seasons of an Italian and French remake Oof. of a Norwegian TV show. So, so you know why we're friends. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And our special guest for this episode is news editor Noah Tolerski. Tolerski, how are you today? I'm pretty good. I spent a lot of time outside in the nice weather, and I accidentally hit Mr. Georgetown in the face. So, <laughs> well, pretty wow. good Mr. day. Spending time yes. outside today? Can't relate. <laughs> Okay, so you are a new guest, and traditionally we ask our new guests the new guest question, which is, what is your background with Harry Potter? How were you introduced to it? Just your history, all that. So if you would like to answer that. Um, I think I read the first two books with my parents, like out loud. And then the third book was actually like one of the first grown-up books I ever read like on my own. Oh. Yeah. And then I read all of them, and the seventh one came out on my ninth birthday. Oh. And I did not, I was not allowed to go, to go to wait in line, yeah. but it was there in the morning when I woke up. So I had no complaints about that. Aww. But that is, that's my history with Harry Potter. That's cute. Nice, yeah. <laughs> okay. So today we're talking about the third movie, Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, what are both of your thoughts on the movie? Like where does it stack up in relation to the others? And what are your thoughts in general on it? I'll start. I am under the humble opinion that this is the best uh, Mm. movie on, at least from a filmmaking standpoint. Of all the movies. Of all the movies movies in the world. Of all the movies in the world, (laughs) yes. But especially within the Harry Potter (laughs) series. Um, At least from a filmmaking standpoint, um, I think, and we'll talk more about this in depth later, but Alfonso Cron definitely came in and said that he was going to leave his mark on the series and... Um, a little fun fact about this is apparently they were also trying to get uh, Guillermo del Toro to direct this movie at first, which I often wake up in a cold sweat at night <laughs> thinking about how awesome that would have been. But it's okay because we got Alfonso, who's wonderful. So yeah, it's my it's my favorite of the. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite. But I think it's the best. Um, okay. The best made one. So yeah, gotcha. Oh, I think everyone says that it's the best. I'm not sure that it is, but it is very good. Hmm. And. I don't know. If it were maybe 20 minutes shorter, I think I would say it probably is the best. Okay. Okay. What part do you think should be I don't know. Um, There's a lot of, like, just, like, panning shots of all the towers, or, like, I don't know. Those are transition scenes. No, I know there's transition (laughs) scenes, but it's just, there's also a lot of Harry and Lupin just talking and talking, and I get it's like, it's like character development, and they're bonding, but like Lupin is just trying to replace Harry's dad with him, and it's a little weird. That's a, it could that's be a little bit shorter. It's two have. and a half hours long. That's kind of a long movie. Th- I'd watch is... a six-hour Harry Potter movie. Your point is, I mean, sure. I watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies before Spring Break, but like that's different right? though. Why? Why is that different? Because they're the Lord of the Rings movies, and oh, they have to be that long. God. These are the Harry Potter oh, movies. My God. Okay. <laughs> so I. And I I think my opinions on this movie recently changed, or recently as in, like, in the past few years. Um, so I never initially thought that it was one of my favorites. I thought it was, like, very dark, and it didn't quite have the... It didn't have the happiness and sort of joy of the first two yeah. movies, but then it also didn't have, like, the gravitas and the seriousness and the significance to the larger plot 
as the rest of the movies when Voldemort becomes more prominent. Um, but over time, I've come to appreciate more, like you were saying, mm-hmm. how the actual film is made and how it's paced. And there's a lot of really great moments in this movie that I think we forget about. And so over time, it's like moved up my list and I'd, I'd rank it in the like couple, first couple few of the yeah, movies. Yeah, I think I had a similar thing as well. Where, like, I remember first, like, watching the movies, and I did not like Prisoner of Ben at all. It was my least favorite. I was like, eh, not feeling this. And then, I don't know, over time, it just really grew on me from a filmmaker standpoint. Um, and even though I uh, vehemently disagree with Tversky, I I, I, res- I respect that thought, because it's not the first time I've heard it. So I think mm. I get it. I disagree, but I get it. So... Favorite scene, Tularski, what's your favorite scene in this um, movie? I think that the best scene in the whole movie is like right before Peter Pettigrew like turns from Scabbers into Peter Pettigrew. Mm. Because if you haven't read the books and you don't know what's going to happen, um, just the way the, the way the editing is, yeah. it's so well done to make you think that they've been building up this whole time that Sirius is going to kill Harry. Mm-hmm. And now Lupin's in on it too. And Harry is convinced that he's going to be killed. And so are you. Yep. And it's great. Yeah. It's really a great scene just because of that. I 100% mm-hmm. agree. And they're all like, what are you going to do to this rat? Like, what? You know, they're so confused. Like, what's going to... Yeah. Don't come hurt him. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Coming from someone who did watch most of the movies before uh, reading the books, like, that scene, I was shook. I was mm-hmm. like, Lupin, you, you betrayed me. <laughs> like, I was so angry. And then it was just like, we mentioned this in the in the book po- podcast, but just like the plot twist within the plot twist, and I think they just did a really good job at like just everything you said, Swarovski, yeah. the editing, the way mm-hmm. it was like shot, like the acting, just a phenomenal job. I one hundred percent agree. Mm. Yeah. So, what's your favorite scene? My favorite scene will have to be when we get introduced to the mentors. Um, so they're on the the Hogwarts Express, they're going, and then. The lights go out and it gets really cold. And specifically, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the part where you get the outside shot of the, the train. Yeah, and then yes. all of the windows just turn to ice. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy shit. Like, that is, it's terrifying. Like, I was terrified. I was also really young, but I was terrified. And I think it just does a phenomenal job. Because we, just going back to the book podcast again, we talked a lot about how um, for J.K. Rowling, the Dementors, like, represented or were a metaphor for, like, depression and stuff like that. And I think the that scene does a really good job of just showing visually, without, like, words, how they suck all of the happiness and joy and life out of a room when they show up. Before they even start to suck people's souls out or whatever mm. it is that they like to do. <laughs> like, just their presence. Yeah. Like, just complete darkening and cold. And I never read... When, when reading, like, the scenes where the dementors come, I never read it, like, literally as the whole yeah. place gets cold and icy. But I, I really like that, like, directorial choice on a visual standpoint. And so, yeah, I thought they just yeah. nailed it. So I think in the books, what I noticed more was they say, like, I felt cold. Yeah. Or I felt like ice was inside. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of, like, the actual atmosphere yeah. of the room changes. So I agree with you. I think that was a really cool way of depicting that. Um, my favorite scene goes back a little bit um, to what we were talking about before. So after that confrontation, when they realize that Peter Pettigrew is the bad guy and it's actually not serious and Lupin, 
what happens is then Lupin then becomes a werewolf because Ooh. he's not taken his potion and there's a moon and it's just... And so just the really impactful thing that stays with me is when it's like close up on his eyes mm-hmm. and his eyes change and his back like hunches and all these things and it's... You're like, oh crap, you know, yeah. what... How are they going to get out of this? And basically Snape pushes them behind him, which is... Interesting, interesting and telling yeah and then Sirius takes him on in his dog form and you know it's just like very exciting and it's like the climax and yeah I just thought that was yeah, a really I, exciting way to do it yeah and going off of that just like his transformation in and of itself is mm, quite grotesque yeah. it really is like, that freaked me out when I was younger right like it's kind of gross and I think like just going back to Jesus Cone when like showing that like Becoming a werewolf is not, like, this fun thing. Like, yeah. like maybe becoming the animagus is. Like, we see McGonagall turn into, like, a cat. Like, oh, and then oh, cool. Like, oh, cool. But, like, no, this werewolf shit is nothing to play with. Yeah. Like, it's it's serious and it looks painful. And in pop culture, it's so romanticized, it's so too. Romanticized. So that's, like, a departure yeah. from that as well. It's definitely. And he looks, he doesn't look like a wolf. Yeah. And he just look. he looks scary. He looks scary. Yeah. yeah. It's not like you just turn into this, like, dog wolf mm-hmm. figure. You're, like, a man mm-hmm. wolf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, but he's, like, hairy, but also not hairy at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's really... He's got, like, a really smooth head, and it's just weird. So, I have, I have a question regarding that scene. Um, In, in the book, does Snape, p- like, push him away to protect him? Because I don't remember that. Well, Snape is knocked out. Snape is knocked out, right? Snape yeah. is knocked out. Yeah. So, so like, no. Like, what? What do you guys think about that choice to have Snape? Like, I think it's interesting because it's such an instinctual thing. I think mm-hmm. for a parent to do that for their child, but is it an in, like, or for a teacher maybe to do that for a student? Like, but they always view Snape as this horrible guy, and I like, I'm not gonna litigate that right now, but. That just shows a moment of humanity of, like, these are my students, these are people, like, I just, the instinct is to protect whether whatever that relationship is, whatever resentment or, like, tension there is in that relationship. I thought it was an interesting choice. I think it plays into what makes Snape a more complicated, whatever, wherever you fall on him, that complicates his character in a way that I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think it's kind of a cheap way to, like, set up... Because Snape isn't like a sympathetic character until you until he's killed, really. Yeah. yeah. And then this is just kind of a cheap way of setting it up to think like, oh, he's not all horrible, mm-hmm. but like, of course not, because it's his job to be a teacher and like, kind of protect the students, even though, like, I want to talk about like most of the teachers do a really bad job <laughs> at keeping their students safe at that school. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of times, at least in Harry, Hermione, and Ron's minds, Snape is acting against them. So they view him as not fulfilling his role. Yeah. You know, well, so like, even if he's supposed to, they don't think that he is. And in that moment, he does. When Neville sees the Bogart, it literally turns into Snape. Snape's yes. supposed to be like oh. the scariest mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't know. I, I. That visual of Snape in <laughs> This is just a general theme that I feel with the movies in general, though, is I really do think that they kind of like lessen Snape's like just nastiness and like just like meanness in general like i really do think the movies sort of like downplay how awful snape is as a human being because i i 
I'm one of those people who don't think Snape is a good guy. I think he's a bad guy who may have done a good thing or two because he was obsessed with a girl that he couldn't get, like, when he was a teenager. So, like, I've always been under that impression about Snape. And I think the movies lean more towards the, the, or want to portray more towards the idea of Snape being a good guy who made some mistakes. Um, and so, like, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the scene because I think it fits for what the movies are going for with Snape's character but it's just not like how I view Snape's character when I read the books but then again with J.K. Rowling I don't know she she seems to want people to think Snape is a good guy too so (laughs) interesting the messages that the movie pushes and the way that that impacts audiences because Mm -hmm. I remember when I was younger I thought, I was like, wow, Snape is so misunderstood. Like, yeah. And younger, I mean, early teens, like, wow, you know, he really was this good guy. I, I genuinely thought. But over time, I realized, I was like, wow, that it's horrible to portray him as in any way sympathetic because that obsession, that, like, fixation on someone, that feeling that they owe you something, that's, like, really real, and that happens a lot, and it's, like, kind of horrifying to see it romanticized like Mm -hmm. it is in the movies obviously this is off topic and this goes beyond the scope of this podcast but yeah yeah that Mm -hmm. would just make me think of that so uh you mentioned uh the teachers and now that we're we're moving on to to characters now right because i want to hear want to hear to least valuable least least favorite characters (laughs) would be almost all the adults in the film (laughs) because they all do a really bad job of ensuring that the children are safe and happy just generally like um, I don't know, like, I don't know, Snape is just mean, and then <laughs> yeah. Lupin, like, kind of has, like, in like weird teaching behaviors where he brings in dangerous creatures, and then, of course, there's Hagrid, who literally has one of his students get mauled in his class. I'm going to say, to be fair, not Hagrid's fault, but at the same time, that's just, like, all Hagrid throughout all of the movies, he's kind of like never quite paying enough attention to yeah. what's happening yeah. to be able to make sure that all of the children are being safe. He's not wrong. Or not wrong. or any time that like they thought Sirius Black broke into the castle and they're like, oh, just just stay in your beds. It's fine. <laughs> like one time they make them sleep on the floor in the great hall. in the great hall. But then Snape and Dumbledore literally are having a conversation about how Sirius Black wants to kill Harry. Around Harry. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he might be asleep, but he also might not be because he's on, like, a flagstone floor on some thin little mattress that you gave him. You made you made points. And I think a lot of them were valid. Particularly with Hagrid. Yes, that was Malfoy's fault, and I will always say that. But I don't think anyone is trying to argue that Hagrid is necessarily Last a good professor. In three words. In Last three words. Ended fruit. <laughs> yeah, Hagrid's not, not the best. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think, yeah. <laughs> Your least favorite character? My least favorite character would have to be Ron. Ronald Weasley. What? It is Ronald Weasley, specifically for the movie. Okay. And I have, I have a couple reasoning. One being that I think Ron's character in this film is, like, completely downplayed. Okay. Um, they give a lot of, like, and this is a trend throughout, like, a lot of the movies, but, like, a lot of, like, big Ron scenes, they either, like, completely, like, change it to make it, like, a not, like, big Ron heroic scene, which I will get into later, or they, like, give it to Hermione. So, like, yeah. the scene where 
uh, Lupin, where we think that he's working with Sirius and is now evil, and Hermione goes in front of Harry and is like, if you want to kill him, you have to kill all of us. Like, cool, like, I'm great. Like, Hermione's great. We know that. She just got to punch Draco. Like, I get it. I know she's great. That was Ron's scene. In the well, book- Ron, Ron also couldn't stand on his own. But the thing is, that's what made it even greater in the book. His leg is mangled, and this kid still tries mm. to get up, like, limp up, and protect Harry and Hermione and go, if you want to kill us, you have to kill us all. Like, I just feel like the movie just completely, like, okay. downplays. Okay, so it's not that you don't it's like his character, it's that you don't, like, don't like the way he's depicted. I don't like the, the way he's depicted. The, he's just useless. He's super whiny, too, in this yeah. movie. Mm. He's useless and whiny, and I just... Ron does nothing in this movie. <laughs> nothing of value. Like... This is this is where I'm interpreting the least valuable player as like just does nothing of value. Okay. He annoyed me in the book for different reasons, but like at least he had like moments of like hero her- heroism and like bravery and like okay, like I'm in this with you guys, you know, we're a trio. Like mm-hmm. this entire movie is just Harry and Hermione handling the shit and Ron just whining about it. Ron being like in bed. In bed and, and complaining about the damn brat. And I just <laughs> I can't. So yeah, Ron is my yeah. least valuable player for this movie. Yeah, I think my least valuable player is the executioner who <laughs> comes to kill Buckbeak. Not because he's useless, because he does serve a purpose. Just because I hate him. Um, he is literally, like, he's stroking his axe and, like, he just, because it's one thing to be an executioner, but he is just, like, very, very enthusiastic about his job, which is terrifying. Yeah, well, it's no. not his fault. He's just. What do you mean it's not his fault? He doesn't have to be excited it's, about oh, But it's his job and he's been written as a caricature of executioners. <laughs> okay, but he also gets, like, Really angry that he couldn't kill Bugby. Yeah, well, don't you think he's not going to get paid if he didn't get to do that? Why wouldn't he get paid? It's not his fault. He came here to do the job. I mean, maybe still on his hours. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that he's a salaried employee (laughs) of the Ministry of Magic. (laughs) The inner workings of the pay distribution in the Wizarding World. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I hate him, and so I just have a lot of concentrated like that whole Bugbeak scenario yeah the executioner irrationally is who i place my blame on even though it's like orchestrated by malfoy and all of that yeah um so now, while, while we're steeping in this negativity <laughs> let's talk about our least favorite scenes so dejour what is your least favorite scene going back to ron <laughs> my least favorite scene is something very small but something that just gripes me and i think i mentioned it in the book podcast as well but it's mm-hmm. when snape tells hermione and this is in the book he tells Hermione, uh, she raises her hand, talks out of line. He says, like, um, I did not call you, or do you enjoy being an insufferable know-it-all? Mm. And in the book, Ron goes, you ask a question and she answered. Why ask if you don't want to be told? And then he gets attention for it. Mind you, at this moment in the book, him and Hermione are not friends. They have been arguing throughout the entire time he has not been speaking to her. In the movie, he turns and he goes... He's sort of right, you know. What? Uh. The fuck? Why? Why? I don't, I don't. Okay, maybe the logic behind it was, like, since they took out the the whole, like, argument between Harry, um, yeah, Harry and Ron versus illogical. Hermione with the whole fireball thing, that maybe they still wanted to, like, find ways to keep the, the you know, the, uh, the tension between Ron and Hermione that's basically the basis of all their arguments a prisoner of Azkaban so maybe they're thinking okay Ron's gonna do like a quick little gripe at her blah 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 no 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 it makes me so mad every time I watch it I'm just like 
skip. I just fast forward like 10 seconds. So I don't have to hear Ron <laughs> say that. And then I don't know why, but it just completely encompasses all of the reasons why Ron's character in this movie and the way he's portrayed in this film annoys me. Like, there's no reason to change that. You could have had him say the nice thing about Hermione, even though they're arguing. You could have had him defend his friend because Ron's whole thing is, yeah, sometimes I'm rude to Hermione, but that doesn't mean that all of you get to be rude to her too. And yeah, that's annoying. And yeah, that's some goofy 13-year-old boy shit. But at least he's still loyal. And I don't understand why they changed it. It makes me mad every time. Snape is fantastic in the scene. Oh, I was going to say, at the start of that scene, when he walks the start in of that scene, and he closes all the windows, closed. pulls down the oh. screen. That entire scene is beautiful. It just, that, though, those like 10 seconds. Mm. It's just that 10 seconds of it. If they just wouldn't have changed it, mwah, it would have been great. But nope, they didn't. And so I'm bitter forever. Mm. <laughs> so the night bus. The night bus. While it is a cool thing, you know, wizarding public transport, mm-hmm. uh, it gives me massive anxiety <laughs> to just watch that scene of it weaving in and out and almost running over an elderly woman mm-hmm. as she's walking across. Like, if you're trying to get my blood pressure up to just like <laughs> five million, that that's that's the way to do it. And it's just, and then Harry hits the window when they stop mm-hmm. short. It just is a very difficult scene to watch because it's, like, so uncomfortable. And yeah. maybe, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe it's positive. Like, whatever. It, it's I just don't like watching it. Unsafe and impractical. Unsafe yes. and impractical. Why is it, like, why yeah, is it beds? Why is like, it beds? I don't know. Honestly, why is it And beds? who's the person who's asleep when he gets on the train, on the bus, oh, and has to, like, walk past? Such a good question. Mm. And also, then, is the shrunken head in the book? Yeah, No. So that's why this scene was a runner-up for me. It's my least favorite scene. And it has to do entirely with the shrunken heads. I just don't know what they were going for. It wasn't it doesn't it's not funny to me. Like the jokes don't land. I just don't get it. I don't know what they were going uh, for. But like okay. It just doesn't Mm. work. And also, this is another really small thing that is not important and not significant. But in the in the in the um in the book when Harry goes into the thing and the whose name I can't remember right now but the guy who Stan Shantai yeah uh, he asks Harry his name and Harry says Neville Neville. which like it's not significant at all but it's just kind of cool that the first name Harry thought to say was Neville and then we learn later that like Neville could have been Harry if like Voldemort would have like that's all I'm saying just kind of cool this is the smallest thing just kind of cool Harry also (laughs) never paid on the bus <laughs> he did not pay for his the, the conductor pay. printed out a receipt and handed it to him and, and then harry smashed into and, the window yeah and harry never paid so that's and oh. harry has money i know harry he has a bunch of gold yes. so he could have paid mm. yes. you are right this is actually it's right before miley's favorite scene mm-hmm. was when he shows up at the leaky cauldron and he goes upstairs um ah. and he gets kind of like sat down in the chair while the minister of magic just talks at him <laughs> and and they're the the hunchback character has to like be creepy for the sake of being creepy yeah and then the minister of magic is like oh we fixed all your problems it's fine Mm -hmm. even though in two movies they're gonna haul his ass in front of a tribunal for (laughs) defending himself yep Mm. which also how did he blow up his aunt and it's not like a spell and it's it's really (laughs) there's a lot of unclear stuff because that makes it seem like you can do magic without your wand but then, like, when they're about to face the Bogart, Lupin says, without your wands, please. And they say it, and nothing happens. So... I think... But isn't, isn't it, like, in in later books, like, they start trying to learn, like, um, magic, non-verbal. like, non-verbal magic, or, like, something like that? Yeah. But also, but then, like, why even use a wand? Like, but if you that's, can just... like, when, you know, I just remember Neville's whole thing of, like, my, my family thought that I was a squib until I, like, fell over the 
stairs, the railing of the stairs, and bounce down the stairs. You know what mm. I mean? Like, that's magic you do without a wand. Yeah. It's just, like, something that happens, and it's yeah, weird. Yeah, like, even in, like... like even in the in the first book when like the thing disappears and Dudley falls into the yeah the um the snake uh yeah thing, I think the, zoo. the wand concentrates your magic and focuses it yeah. and so when you're a kid there's all these erratic things happening you're mm-hmm. like what how do I you know yeah. but then once you learn how to use a wand you can channel it yeah through like the wand but that doesn't that doesn't make that scene any less uh annoying the least favorite yeah. scene yeah yeah it makes sense yeah I think. The, I, I I love the, the blowing up the aunt scene. I know that wasn't your least favorite scene, but just since we brought it up, I love the blowing up the aunt scene because she's the worst. Mm, <laughs> and it's so satisfying to watch it play out. In the book, it happens, but like, and then I just, just really like seeing it. Just another like, mwah, directing moment when Harry is like long left, like the Dursleys, and he's just walking. You just can see her like all the way up there, just like floating. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just love it. I love that they did that. I love uh, and yeah. and also and this is a I think a good segue into talking about some of the new cast members. But like for like the small amount of time that um the actress whose name I do not know had mm. playing playing uh, Harry's aunt, she did a, she did a great job at being the yes. worst. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she did a great it's job horrible. at being the worst. She was horrible. I hated her. Hated her. <laughs> hated her. Yes. Um, do we want to talk about our MVPs first, and then we oh, can yes. go into new cast members? Yes. So really quickly, my MVP is specifically for this reason, but also just larger in the film, the scene in which Hermione punches Draco. Punch in the movie, as in the book, it is a slap. Mm-hmm. I like that it's a punch. I think it's like, oof, you know, oof. okay, okay. And then, oh, what she says right before you foul, loathsome, you little cockroach. Ah, I love it. Yeah, that was just a standout. That was moment. good, and then Jericho's Therefore, cowering. Yeah, like right before she punches him, he thinks like he's like he's got out of the way. He's like, mm-hmm. and then she just turns around and just socks him. Love it. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I my MVP is um it's gonna have to be Lupin. You know, mm-hmm. he's a great teacher. <laughs> the kids love him. The best defense against the dark arts professor that they have by far. He clearly loves Harry. Wants to help Harry. And I love Lupin. Tversi's making a face. He's fine. He's whatever. <laughs> he's nice and everything. I can't. But, like, still, he just endangers his students. <laughs> he tried his best, though. I mean, yeah, and he is the only Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who doesn't try and kill Harry. Yeah, <laughs> and that's important. <laughs> you know, that's really accomplishment. Yeah. A significant thing. A significant thing. Your favorite? My favorite, like Hermione, beat up Malfoy, and that's Buckbeak. <laughs> because that's Buckbeak a is a great... Well, yeah, he does that. He's yeah. also a great plot device to just move the movie forward. Yeah. Because they would never have like gone, ended up at the house if they weren't trying to save Buckbeak again. Yeah. And, and, and he's cute. It's yeah, Buckbeak. he's also pretty cool. He's also pretty cool. And mm. Harry's ride with Buckbeak is really like just beautiful. Yes, that's it's a great very, scene. Very pretty. Yeah. And so, he's king of the world. Mm, <laughs> I mean, he didn't mm. say that, but he might as well have. <laughs> <laughs> so three out of four of the Marauders are introduced in this, well, like depicted physically. Yeah. In this Because at film. this moment, only three are alive right now. Yes, that is um, true. One is dead, um, dead, 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 dead. <laughs> yes sure uh, but so that's Gary Oldman as Sirius Black David Thewlis as Remus Lupin and Timothy Spell as Peter Pettigrew um, Gary Oldman has become a figure mm. who I have a lot of feelings towards at this point in time yeah. when I was watching the movies obviously I was not aware of any of that yeah. stuff 
Um, so I loved him as Sirius, but now I'm just like, eh. I do wish, though, that Sirius was a little younger. Yeah, because I think in the, they, like, in the films, they try to portray them as, like, the age of conventional parents yeah. as opposed to being as young as they were in the books. Yeah. Because they were so, 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 so young in the books, and that's, like, really significant, but Sirius, and maybe he's aged because of Azkaban. Well, like, yeah, maybe that that's probably a thing. is why. But then Lupin looks about as old as he is, which... Well, that, Maybe might, just he's the, aged that might just be the mustache. It might just be the mustache. But also, being a werewolf cannot be Yeah, I mean, easy. yeah, it's probably stressful. He didn't really have a job before. He's kind of roughing it out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in in my head reading it, I don't, I don't even know my feelings about Gary Oldman as a person aside. I did really enjoy his uh, portrayal of Sirius Black. I will say, though, that... When I'm reading the book, I often imagine like the cast in the book in my mm-hmm. head, but with Gary Oldman, I I do not imagine. Okay. Him when I'm reading Sirius Black, I yeah. kind of just imagine someone different who kind of vaguely resembles Gary Oldman, but is a little bit younger. Yeah. So he did a good like acting wise though, mm-hmm. even if I do kind of wish he was a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I don't I don't mind uh, Gary Oldman as Sirius Black. I think he did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. I like Remus Lupin. Yes. I like him a lot. I yes. can't pronounce his last name, but Can David, David, you know, David <laughs> just does good work in this movie. <laughs> what do you think, Tlarski? Even mean, even your problems with his character. Well, yeah, he's he is acted very well. He he does come across as very likable and like the the teacher who takes a really concerted interest in his students. Yeah. Um and like te- actually teaching them and getting to know them a little bit, which is good. And he also like really can pull off, like, not telling Harry the important things that Harry needs to know, um, while also, like, still being really likable. And even when he, like, turns into a werewolf, you, like, feel bad about it. Because yeah. you're like, oh, he's so nice. Now he yeah. has to be a werewolf. Now he's, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoy him as Lupin. I think that, I mean, this movie, re- just very well casted, but I think they did a good job uh, with this one, especially because Lupin's character could have been quite difficult to cast considering like he has to keep up this like professional look but also just look quite disheveled like all the Mm. time (laughs) and i think david thewlis i believe did a a, quite a good job at that yeah and then wormtail yes wow (laughs) like perfect casting perfect casting perfect casting and then shout like shout out to like makeup and costuming for like making him just look as ratty as yeah. possible. Yeah. Like, full shout-outs to them. I yeah. mean, he just, he kind of has, like, in Enchanted 2, mm-hmm. he, like, he's just really good at being, like, kind of bent over the yeah. henchman kind of guy. I think Paul Giamatti also would have been a good mm. good cast for that ah. that role. Huh. They both kind of have the same kind of body type and yeah. could have, like, a, yeah. yeah. But, like, he's really creepy when he has all the makeup on. Yeah. And that's really, like, they did a good job. Yeah, especially that. going back to your your uh, your favorite scene, uh, mm-hmm. especially, like, right before. But when he does, like, yeah. uh, transform it back into a man, like, oh, his, like, his face. Ooh. Just like that rat. Yeah, like, been a rat for so long. So and, long. And he's, he still has the he's, little, yeah, like, exactly. sniff. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. He's really good. He's really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Emma Thompson as Professor Trelawney. I wish the best for Emma Thompson. I think she does a good job of portraying Professor Trelawney. I just think Professor Trelawney's character irritates me to no end, especially in the movies where she's like, actually, you can hear what she says and like, just, I don't know, watch her be her and 
maybe Emma Thompson does a good job of being so outlandish, but it lands for me more as, like, annoying. And she's supposed to be annoying, but it's just difficult to watch. Yeah. I, um, I have the similar feelings as I do for, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Gilderoy Lockhart. Kenneth. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have similar feelings in that I could not stand the characters, Lockhart and Professor Trelawney in the books, but the actor's portrayal of them just makes mm. me so happy. So, like, <laughs> I loved Emma Thompson in this role. I thought she was great. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's my favorite. Uh, I think that I didn't like her in the books or in the movies. Uh, she just seems too out there and weird, which I guess you have to be, but... It's really over the top. Yeah. Mm. Sad. Yes. So am I the only one? Also, whoa, hold on, hold on. Are you mean to tell me that we're talking about new cast members and you've neglected that there's a new Dumbledore? Oh <laughs> my god, yes! <laughs> Michael Gambon is Dumbledore now. Yes. Okay. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Hmm. <laughs> he sucks all of the joy. Out of Dumbledore. I think that the original actor was just so much more of the quirky, you know, out there, like, is he sane? Sort of, sort of character, lovable, like, whatever he does, whenever, whatever frustrations he causes, like, lovable-ish, you know, at least from a child's perspective who mm-hmm. is not yet, like, aware of all the things that Dumbledore is doing or keeping from Harry, like, yeah. just as someone looking at him innocently, um... Yeah, I think the new actor is just very serious and very direct and to the point, and I don't know. I think he does a good job, um, particularly as time goes on in the movies, but I think he just doesn't portray Dumbledore with as much like whimsy as I would like. Well, I don't know. I think Dumbledore... I, I'm not sure that he is as whimsical as, like, he is in the first two movies. And I think Michael Gambon does a good job through, like, all of them. But also, I think, like, sort of as... Like, as the books progress, there is just a progression towards it being, like, darker films and, like, mm-hmm. more serious. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, by by the time you get to the sixth movie, he very much is, like, a little whimsical, even though he's withering away and dying. Yeah. But I think he's better. Yeah. I think, too, I have my problems with Michael Gambon's... Um, portrayal of Dumbledore but I'm gonna have to agree with Swirsky and I think he's a bit better and only because and I think I mentioned this in like the very first movie podcast but I just felt like they went really heavy into like the old wise wizard trope with Mm -hmm. the original Dumbledore Mm -hmm. and yeah Dumbledore is like old and he's wise but he's not like the old wise wizard trope like he looks old but like feels like yeah mm-hmm. and i think I, you mentioned this as well where the original actor like wouldn't be able to f- perform convincingly some of the physical feats that happened yeah in later in i mean think about that 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 battle later in order to phoenix between Voldemort mm. and and dumbledore mm-hmm. like yeah well like so maybe the first actor like, man served like he was his... like gonna go in a second he did oh. <laughs> and he did oh, <laughs> rest in peace but <laughs> Dumbledore had a few years left in him, and so I feel like we need someone that's gonna look like they still have a few years left. <laughs> Rest in peace, um, 
original Dumbledore director whose name I don't remember at this point in time. Like, we wish you all was the it best Richard as well. It is yes, Richard it was. Harris. Um, Rest in peace. You know, good thoughts to, to your family. Yeah. I think, didn't he, like, only, I heard that he, like, only, like, he took the role because, like, his, like, granddaughter and niece oh. or something like that was, like, really oh loved God, the book. Don't tell me these like, things. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, like, he was, he, was, he was good for, like, I think what Christopher Columbus was going for yeah. with Dumbledore. He could but not Christopher yeah. Columbus. <laughs> but not good for what, like, I feel like own. Dumbledore is. And yeah. I think Michael Gambon, even though I have my problems with Michael Gambon's performance, um, not as much in this one as as much in later ones, God of Fire, but I think <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh, Generally, you want to talk about endangering children. God of Fire is the endangering children, like, model like if if there's any adult that wants to look at how best to endanger children oh yeah because it, yeah, it's exposed them to some magical creatures like it's applicable to every situation oh yeah oh we're gonna decide you have to be 18 to participate in this oh but the 14 year old got in well screw it he can do it it's fine forget rules the goblet spoke the magic cup said he has to do it so he has to do it that's a podcast for another day okay i'm gonna keep it on track this movie is very physically different from the previous yes. two. We've touched on a bit with Dumbledore and a bit of the tone, but it's just so different. So it's so different. much darker, more different. like blue yeah. rather than... I feel like the first two movies, the undertones are like yellow and yeah. red and green. Yeah. And this Orange, movie, it's like blue and gray and black. Yeah, yeah I think um, Alfonso definitely came in. And said, all right, like, it's cool what you guys were doing there. And, like, I respect it, but it ain't me. And I'm gonna, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna take this and just put my own little twist on it. And he definitely did. I Apparently, um, Guillermo had to, like, convince him to actually read the book. Because <laughs> he wasn't gonna do it. Guillermo was like, you should probably read the book. <laughs> he just wasn't gonna do it. So, like, he really was going in there with, like, a sense of, like, okay, like, I want to make this my own. And mm. while there was some um, adaptational differences that bugged me, I think, like, I love what he did. Because when you think about where the rest of the series is going, we kind of, like, we couldn't have another Chris Columbus movie. Yeah, we needed that mm. transition We needed, happened. like, mm. this transition because... Goblet of Fire is where where I would argue like the series like reaches like it's like dark like like this book gets darker of course but like mm-hmm. I feel like Goblet of Fire is when like all right now we're not playing like this is like mm-hmm. some dark shit that's about to happen for the rest of the series and I think Prisoner of Azkaban Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban are kind of like leading slowly leading up to that point mm-hmm. and so we needed a a movie that was gonna be totally different and get us like on track to that point and Alfonso Cuaron like nails that and does a fantastic job at just taking like some established things in the series and just like updating them for what's to come mm-hmm. yeah Your thoughts I don't know I think you said most of it. <laughs> yeah I really well. I think the color like the colors is really like a big difference mm-hmm. they don't necessarily yeah. I don't know much about film, but I know <laughs> colors I know colors yeah. I know that this movie is blue well oh, and because yeah. like I don't know, like, the last, like, the final, like, the end of each movie, there's always, like, that final scene with Dumbledore, mm-hmm. where he's, like, not imparting any kind of wisdom. He just said, oh, yes, oh, you had an adventure. Interesting. <laughs> um, the first two, it's really, like, he's backlit, and it's, like, sunny, but yeah. here, it's, like, dark, and they're in the mm-hmm. hospital, mm-hmm. and it's, like, gray and blue gray, and dark. Blue, yeah. Mm. 
once again, Dumbledore is not imparting much wisdom, but like seriously, actually, like legitimately not imparting any wisdom. And I mean, I can I can rave for for days and days about mm-hmm. all of like the ways, but I Tversky mentioned the the transition scenes and how some of them are a bit long um, before we began this podcast. Yeah, and I. I'm going to disagree with that thought because I one of my favorite things about this film is the transition scenes as well. Like, I feel like they're so, like, creative. Like, we have scenes where just, like, a bird just, like, dies. Or, like... <laughs> no, that, part of my problem with them is they are so heavy-handed. Like, the one where the Dementor walks by and the flower, like, freezes and dies. Or, like, the bird just falls out of the sky. Just so heavy-handed. Mm. Yeah. Did we talk at all about Hogsmeade? Um, Hogsmeade. I so I think we should because this is a new location, and mm, I feel like mm-hmm. and it's, it's become it becomes because the shrieking shack is the shrieking shack, and then like there are other like Order of Phoenix, Hufflepuff Prince. Like Hogsmeade is a staple of the rest of the series, and so he had to like I think Hogsmeade kind of basically like follows the same track for the rest of the series and look, I yeah, guess. and I think Alfonso. I don't know. Like, I think he did a good job. I feel like yeah. my head reading it, like, pretty similar to what he yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wanted more out of Honey Dukes. Mm. At higher expectations. Yeah. Um, but in general, I just, like, really want to go there. But, like, that's a very attractive place, I think, as a fan, where you're like, oh, that'd be so cool, mm. you know? Yeah. Does, does, does Hogsmeade feel a little, a little smaller than you guys would think, though? Mm. And maybe it's because we only visit, like, the, lo- the locations of yeah. Hogsmeade that, like, they are would, relevant they would, for that the plot. would be relevant but like i always imagine like it's like this like kind of like you know village well, that people live yeah but it's like an all wizard village that like what is what's its economy like what what does it do <laughs> i don't well, know well yeah but shops for who like no one lives Other there wizards don't they, come and visit they yeah they can operate man well i guess so but like why would you go to hogsmeade if you can just go like literally anywhere else okay because well, transportation time is not a thing <laughs> when you can operate also people do live there it's yeah, like a, yeah, but like, like what are they doing? Because I, th- I, I always pictured in my head that all the shops were sort of concentrated and the places where people live were either above the shop or like, or like around, around in yeah. a way that we don't really see it. So I wasn't actually surprised by how small it was because I never pictured people's houses being like integrated with the shops. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in my mind, they were always sort of on the periphery of the of the village. I yeah. don't know. I... I... What, what do you mean, what do people do? Well, they they what go are, shopping. Yeah, and then they, no, 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 but yeah. like, what kind of jobs are they doing and who are they selling goods to? The, the kids, but, they're right by a school. But the kids can, are only allowed to go That's once a month. It's literally like M Street and Wisconsin. Yeah, but like, but imagine if you could only go to M Street and Wisconsin once a month. Do I go more often than that? Well, yeah, but like, like <laughs> no, but this is every student in the whole school. Okay, but what about the professors? Like, they can go whenever Yeah, they but are they? There's like, Hagrid is going to get a butterbeer like at least every day. There's like, Hagrid's, <laughs> Hagrid's probably making his own stuff. But there's tw- there's like 12 professors on that front desk. Like, on like when they have the opening scene in the Great Hall, there's like 12 professors like at the Great Table. Oh, okay, well, that, that that's the movie doing that. <laughs> okay, maybe you have a point. I think that the professors go to the hangout, you know, um, and, and chill, you know, Dumbledore made stop by because the kids can't be there. They can gossip about the students. Yeah, come yeah. up with ways to endanger them. <laughs> <laughs> they can and- gossip about Sirius Black and have Harry overhear them. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Anywho, I feel you like we need to talk about endangerment. <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about some of these book changes, though. 
Yeah. Because I have problems. Okay. And one of my big problems is the Marauder's backstory kind of being left out of this yeah. movie. Like, I agree. It, it's never explicitly confirmed that, like, they made the Marauder's map. I don't even think they call Remus, Sirius, Wormtail, and James the Marauders in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, they get this map, and then, like, they never put the link that, like, this is a thing that, like, exists. And I think, I don't I don't think it, like, hurts this movie for what it is, but I think it hurts for, like, the rest of the films. Yeah. Like, because going forward. the establishment of that friend group mm-hmm. and that preceding generation is so essential going yeah. forward, and it's not really done in this movie, I agree. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know why, I mean... Alfonso, would it have just been so hard to, like, just let them, you know, like, monologue that a little bit? Well, and, like, the only indication is, like, when Sirius and Lupin just, like, hug. Hug. Like, and, oh, like, like friends. You, like, you get, you get the, like, the grasp at, like, okay, they were good friends. And yeah. Lupin mentioned that he was friends with, like, Harry's dad, so mm-hmm. maybe they were all friends. But, yeah. like, I, I just need, like, where's the backstory? I want that confirmation. Also, Harry goes really quickly from, like, thinking that Sirius is going to kill him. To tr- and trying to kill Sirius himself, to believing that Sirius was, like, his dad's best friend. Yes. That was kind of a lot. That's another thing. Like, like, like in how the was book, he convinced Right, in the in book, the like, that whole backstory thing, like, like, kind of, like, helps to, like, yeah. establish, like, Make it more logical that this whole flip okay, is going to happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can go live with my godfather after this, like, Yeah, you when know? Sirius in the movie is like, oh, I come live with me, he's yeah, like, like, what? I just met, like, two seconds ago, and, like, <laughs> how do you even know that, like, <laughs> you know, because that backstory isn't there. So, like, while I, I still think that, like, um, and I guess the movie just a strength off the acting that, like, Sirius and Harry's bond, like, I still feel it in the movie, but, like, it's just, like, that backstory would have made it like ah, you yeah. know, like Harry goes from like choking serious, choking serious, to like yeah, like and when I find him, I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> to like I'm gonna lose my godfather, best friend. Like I don't, yeah, I definitely yeah. agree that yeah, <laughs> it should have been left out. Um, and then it was the the firebolt. Yeah, I think we talked about this towards the beginning. Mm-hmm. That was just like a major source of conflict. Between, between the three of them, the and especially them. Uh, Hermione and Ron. Yeah. Because um, Harry, I think, forgives her quick, more quickly. More quickly than Ron does, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, to be honest, in the books, I thought that was a ridiculous conflict, so I wasn't that mad that they took it out. I, mean, I didn't want to see them being annoyed at each other annoyed for weeks on end. And yeah. It doesn't play well in a movie to just have them not talking to each other, yeah. like, over something so trivial. Like, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't is, upset. This isn't a mission that I'm not mad about because, like I said, I also thought I spoke extensively about why I thought that it was really stupid in the last <laughs> episode that Ron and Harry would be mad at Hermione for turning in the fireball when, like, he got this anonymously and there's literally a murderer out to get him. Yeah. Like, what? But, so I'm not mad that they left it out at all. Um, I do think that, as I mentioned, some things that they may have tried to replace the tension with was not acceptable, mm. Ron. But, like, it, 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 these are one of those omissions where, like, I'm okay. Like, I don't know how well it would have translated to screen. Well, but he, he gets the firebolt at the end And he of the gets movie. the firebolt at the end of the movie. And I think yeah. this is also goes to the fact that, like, for some reason... I, I know the reason, runtime, but these movies are really against having more than one Quidditch match in a movie, mm. <laughs> and so, like, there's no need for him to get the fireball again in the middle of it if yeah. Harry's not even going to play Quidditch again, because mm. we're only going to do one Quidditch match. Also, the Quidditch matches in the Prisoner of Azkaban book are so well written, mm-hmm. like, they are yeah. really good, and so, disappointing. And that's also disappointing when Harry proves he can do a Patronus, because 
Malfoy and his friends dress mm-hmm. up like Dementors. Exactly. And obviously it's not the same situation as they're being actual Dementors. But that's a significant scene, mm-hmm. which is taken out. Which is taken out, we, yeah. Again, just to the thread that I have going through this whole thing. Playing Quidditch in a lightning storm. <laughs> and then, and then, who let the Dementors that close to the field? Okay, but Dumbledore throws a fit about that. Well, yeah, but still, like, who in the first place <laughs> thought, who thought it would be okay to put Dementors The Ministry! At the yeah. Why? <laughs> That's dumb. Okay, but it's it's well established, like, later in the series that the Minister of Magic is, like, not good at his job and trash. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, so at least the book, like, at least it's being acknowledged that the Ministry of Chess, even if it's not necessarily being acknowledged that the adults at Hogwarts are not doing the best <laughs> at their job. <laughs> and then I think, finally, one last um, book change that we should talk about is Harry's memory. Um, um, when the memory he, that sparks the... The memory Patronus. that sparks the Patronus. It's a... I guess it's a small thing, but I just don't... I think the thing that gripes me about this one is I just really don't understand the, why change that. Like, yeah. why change Harry's memory from, like, something that is really logical to be your best memory? Like, getting out of the wizarding world, being told that you're a wizard and you get to leave the abusive Dursley home that you grew up with in for 11 years. Like, that's such a beautiful, happy memory. And it makes sense for that to be the memory. And the Patronus memory has to be so powerful. So like, it powerful. It can't just be happy. It has to, it has be, to be joyful. Joyful. Like, it has to spark elation. Joy. It has to spark <laughs> joy. And a memory that probably doesn't exist. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't know that. He it's, says it in the movie. He's like, he's I'm not even prob- sure if it's not real. Not sure if it's real. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that his con- but that doesn't mean his construction of it can't be that great because he's never met his parents. And don't you think he'd really like to meet his parents? Oh, sure, he'd love to meet his parents. Yeah. But is, is that is that memory is that memory strong enough uh, it to could produce be. a patrol? Don't you think if you had no parents, you might like <laughs> dream a lot about having parents? Yeah, but it's it's yeah, not yeah, a memory yeah. in which like. It's just a memory where they're, they're like, they're just talking. Like, like okay, face. fine. Then maybe, like, have him remember the mirror air set where he gets to look at his whole family. Well, in the movies, it's just his parents. But, like, I don't know. I just feel like Yeah, but that's is... not real. But, like, he can... Dr- but, no, but his dr- imagination, it can be real. What? But he because, no. so yeah. much on no, that No, so because, like, he's looking at the mirror. The mirror is not real, and he knows it's a mirror. But in his head, he's unsure if it's real or not. And he's probably thought about it so much, it's starting to feel like it is real. Okay, yeah, so, okay, so he's convinced himself that this fake memory is real. Is well, that really no, so strong? he doesn't necessarily have to convince himself that it's real. He just has to think about it a lot to make it strong. Don't you have, like, so a really... So that's a powerful thing. Yeah. It's like, he thinks about them so much. Mm-hmm. And And it's, it's okay, to be fair, also, that's his only memory of them, and he doesn't know it's real. Like, that's kind of emotionally powerful. I don't agree with the change, but I also don't necessarily agree that I don't see why they did it if that makes sense i don't see why they did it It makes no sense <laughs> harry's memory was fine and it's and it makes so much sense that his memory would be him leaving his abusive childhood home that is the happiest thing that can happen to a child i mm. think and you know i guess besides like his parents coming back to life but that's never gonna happen because they're dead so i think Whoa. that i just think that harry's memory was perfect in the book, and I don't see why they messed oh, it up. Okay. That is my soapbox. <laughs> so, to wrap up this wonderful, beautiful podcast that has gone on for <laughs> twice as long as it should, if you could be an animagus, what animal would you turn into, and why? Does it have to be a real one? Or can it be a it Harry Potter? It can be in a Harry Potter animal. A phoenix. Ooh. Mm. Wait, aren't phoenixes real? No, but no. I'm gonna wait, they are not real. No. No? No, a bird that burns. Well, I mean, obviously, no. It doesn't, like, have the magical qualities. <laughs> I want to be the specific Harry Potter phoenixes. 
if if specifically fox like i want to be fox resisting animal imagine like burning to death and then rising from your own ashes like what is more boss than that idiot of course that's not real about that part of it like what like what exudes more big dick energy than Mm. rising from your own ashes after you burn to death (laughs) like i don't not dying (laughs) no I no, disagree. no, because being immortal is boring. Rising from your own ashes, that's, that's not boring. Mm. Like, think about it. Voldemort, Loki, he's miserable. <laughs> he tries to be immortal and it doesn't work. Mm. But Fox, he doesn't have to try because he rises from his own ashes. So mm. I would be a phoenix. Nice. What about you, Tosh? Um, I don't know. Um... Say, I would say hippogriff, but isn't Buckbeak the only hippogriff? That would be kind of lonely. No, uh, no. In the I book, mean, there's like the seven more, different hippogriffs. There's like a bunch of okay. the magical yeah. care magical there's creatures, so but in the, in the, I mean, I guess I understand why in the movie there's only one, just like CGI and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely oh. like a species that is. Yeah, it's a species. I'll go with that. One. I'll go with that then. Yeah, that'd be uh, kind of cool. I think it would be. Yeah, hippogriffs mm. seem like seem like a like a gentle giant. Like yeah. people mm. misunderstand them. Mm-hmm. They're just like. Don't like to be bothered. Yeah. Yes. Which, like, what's, that makes what's sense. What's wrong with that? What's like, wrong just with don't that? Insult what's wrong bro? with disrespect? Like being don't mad be when someone disrespects right. you. I want to. I'll fight too. Yeah. <laughs> so Professor McGonagall is my idol in every way. Makes sense. Therefore, I would want to be able to turn into a cat. Mm. I also just like really enjoy cats and like the energy that cats exude mm. and how independent they are and how, again, like hippogriffs in a much like lesser sense, they also yeah. take no shit. I think um, cats have big, big energy as well. Yes. I also I really agree do. with that. <laughs> but think about it this way. Me and Cersei can fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too mad about that. Okay. Flying scares me. Oh, that's true. Not <laughs> a point. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> On that note, we're done. On that note. We're done. <laughs> uh, thanks to everyone, all, you know, however many of you <laughs> who, watch, who listen to this podcast. Um, you can find us at georgetownvoice.com or mm-hmm. on the voice podcast network on apple podcasts yeah. if you like to hear me tweet about movies then i guess you can follow mm-hmm. me at deja evans <laughs> yes. uh at the georgetown voice on facebook and at g-town voice um what is it halftime do you yeah uh yeah that's on twitter yeah i i don't i don't not want to share my twitter but like <laughs> I don't know. You can find it really easily. Just look up, no, just look up my name if you want to know more about solar panels. Solar panels. And, if you're and interested just, in environmental journalism. And see me like things about um, New Hampshire politics, then I guess you can follow me. But Genius. It's not that exciting. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for watching, listening. Yeah.